Wow. Thank you, choir. Aaron, Nate, Lauren. Blessings in the form of raindrops. I've experienced that before. I'm sure you have too. God has a plan. There is hope. We've heard that message already this morning, but I'm going to preach it anyway. Thank you, John, for being here as well and telling us. Marcus said, I didn't know a lot of that. And Marcus has been leading our Room in the Inn program here for years. And I've volunteered Room in the Inn many, many times, and I didn't know a lot of that either. A thousand people get their mail. That's genius. What a beautiful ministry. Overwhelming task, I'm sure, but a wonderful ministry indeed that that is. We've seen hope even in the life of these flowers here. John, uh, Mark Kerrigan's father, Frank, who uh, died a few weeks ago, um, we had his service of celebration, and we've, we've gotten to use these flowers because Savannah Royston, who's one of our uh, choir members, she's uh, coming out soon here. She had her piano recital up here yesterday and played Chopin and Beethoven and, and all kinds of things with these beautiful flowers on either side. So just the hope that we remember that death is not the end, that this is going somewhere. And as Reverend Mowry reminded us, until the day that Jesus comes back, and I think he said, uh, fixes everything that's wrong with this world or something like that. But that's, that's where we're going today. As soon as you said that, I said, that's, that's the sermon topic. I'm really excited about this year in the life of Woodmont Baptist Church 2020. We have a, a wonderful opportunities ahead of us. We have a great, wonderful new minister of music and worship, Aaron, who so ably conducted the choir just now and uh, love his heart for, for worship, love his heart for this church and for the Lord. His sweet daughter, Leighton, pray for her. She's sick and Laura is at home with her, so pray for them. We have a wonderful lay leadership team. Our staff was just recently commenting how the, the chairman and women of the committees right now, the deacon chair, Sandy Marabito, all the deacons, all the lay leadership in this church is just so wonderful right now. We appreciate the capabilities, but more than that, their humility, their diligence, all those things that we've seen uh, on our lay leadership. We do have a wonderful staff right now. Uh, like Eddie prayed, I'm so grateful to serve with the, the men and women of our staff right now. They love our God, they love our church, they love our community, they love our world. And we have a wonderful new epiphany as well about what our mission is to be as Woodmont Baptist Church and also about what our vision is going forward and about who we are, our values. We're gonna have a sermon series in February called Family Values as we talk about the things that are important to us as Woodmont Baptist Church. So I hope you're prayerfully following the Lord's lead along this journey as we cast a new vision for Woodmont Baptist Church going forward and we seek to be the, the kind of church that he's called us to be on this corner all by his grace and for his glory. The past two weeks we've been looking at what is the mission of Woodmont Baptist Church? What is the mission that God has given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ? We've seen that he has shown us plainly in scripture that we are as God's people to love him with all that we are, every part of our being. And we are to love our neighbors as ourselves and we are to make disciples. That's our purpose. That's the reason that we exist here on this corner. Everything we do should point to this mission, to love God, to love people and to make disciples. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it, from the mission. It's easy to get involved in these programs and start thinking about uh, things that get us sidetracked 
on what really matters, to worship the Lord. We sing that song, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and my voice is still hoarse from yelling at fourth grade boys basketball team that I coach yesterday, but singing that song uh, with all that we are, like never before, God, let me worship you in a whole new kind of way with more of me, with all that I am. What a beautiful picture of what it means to worship the Lord with all that we are, to love God. And then to love our neighbors. We've seen a great example of that with Room in the Inn. Did you know that your tithes and offerings go, we cut a check to Room in the Inn every year from this church. We pay in four quarterly installments. Not only do we house men here uh, on every other Saturday during uh, the winter program, but we also give them money. Your tithes and offerings go to support Room in the Inn. I hope we can increase that in the future too, what we give. Everything we do should be about loving God, loving our neighbors, and making disciples. And that's really where our vision for 2020 and beyond is going to point to. Now today, we're, and next week, we're going to look at this vision that we feel the Lord has given to us. There's a lot of confusion. Again, I get real cynical about these terms, mission and vision. What's the difference? A lot of companies have like a mission. How many of you work at a company that has a mission statement? How many of you work at a company that also has a vision statement? How many of you understand the difference between the two? <laughs> a few of you do. Good. It's pretty clear. David, we met in the conference room outside your office, and we saw the mission statement for the College of Pharmacy at Belmont University. I bet you David Gregory could quote that right now off the top of his head as the dean of the School of Pharmacy there. We, we know that God has given us a mission. We've talked about that. What does it mean to have a vision? The best explanation that I heard was from this guy at the conference that we went to last October. He explained it this way. If the mission is to climb a mountain, the vision is the party at the top. The vision is the dream about where you're going. The, the mission is mountain climbing, but the vision is the party at the top when you celebrate what God has done through the mission that you've been doing. That makes a little more sense to me. Jamie, I know you work with all these branding companies. I'm sure you could explain that better. So the vision will vary depending on what chapter of the church's history that we find ourselves in, but the mission never changes. Does that make sense? The mission is always the same, but the vision will change. In the 50s and 60s, Woodmont Baptist Church had a vision really led by G. Allen West, to plant healthy churches across this great city. This church bought property and established Glenwood Baptist Church, Brentwood Baptist Church, Brook Hollow Baptist Church, Crevewood Baptist Church, and Forest Hills Baptist Church, which means any given Sunday, there's probably over 10,000 people that worship in a church that was directly planted by Woodmont Baptist Church, not including all the other churches that those churches have planted. It's quite a legacy. In the 70s, Woodmont had a vision to be a leader in our city in, in reaching out to a wider audience. So they started this television ministry that continues to this day in our 50th year of broadcasting every week. Woodmont also had a vision to be a leader in racial healing in Nashville in a very uh, complicated time, in a very dark time, when schools were finally desegregated in Nashville, Woodmont took a stand for what was right and good in Scripture, and they started partnering with 15th Avenue Baptist Church, and they, amidst threats of violence, they continued to boldly lead the way 
in racial healing in this city. In the 90s and in 2000s, Woodmont had a vision for global missions following the lead of, of Bert and Ruth Dyson, of Bobby and Dewey Dunn. They began to, to expand their global mission trips across the world, broadening our, our focus on God's work internationally. Today, we want to cast a vision that we believe God is calling us to be as a church for maybe the next, I don't know, maybe five, seven years, we'll see. It's a dream about how our church might impact our city and our world. As our staff began to prayerfully consider our church, our particular context, all of our people and their particular giftings that the Lord has blessed them with, we thought about Green Hills, we thought about the greater Nashville area, and we began to put together a vision statement that reflects the intersection of all of those things. And here it is, to bring hope and healing to our neighbors and to the world. To bring hope and healing to our neighbors and to the world. It's nothing groundbreaking, it's nothing too flashy, I heard a radio ad just a couple days ago that was some healthcare company, and it was like, bringing hope and healing to families in need. I was like, great. <laughs> Not very original, maybe. But today, I really want us to dive deep into what it means to, to bring hope and healing to our neighbors and to the world. Let's drill down and figure out what we're talking about when we say those things. First, let me state, it's not us who bring the hope and healing, right? It's God, the Holy Spirit, working. But we want to be faithful to join him in what he's doing already around us as we play our part in bringing hope and healing to our neighbors and to the world. Second thing you'll notice is it's an outward focus, isn't it? It's about us going out to those who are not currently in this church, to those who exist outside the walls of Woodmont Baptist Church. It's about changing our focus from inward to outward. That's a big shift for some of us, myself included. It's gonna take a lot of effort and time, and most of all, the Holy Spirit moving among us. Of course, hope and healing isn't something that we provide on our own. The whole key to this vision is that it's something that the movement of God does, accomplishes in us and through us. So today I'm going to address this first aspect of the vision, hope. What does it mean to bring Christian hope? And then next week, Reverend Trey Heyman, our minister to students, when we were discussing this last October, he was talking about the need for healing, all kinds of healing in our city and across our world. So he's going to talk about healing next week. And as I think about Christian hope, I can think of no better text in all of Scripture than Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. So we're going to read this text together. Will you stand, if you're able to, in honor of God's word as I read our text for today, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself 
will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, I've always loved comeback stories, especially in sports. I'm a sports fan. I don't usually like when the outside culture dictates what we do inside the church, but it's a special day today, and I'm excited for our city and, and for the sporting world. And uh, I, I can think of maybe no more thrilling comeback moment in my lifetime in sports history than what? The Music City Miracle, of course. How many of you were there? I know Eddie Chisholm was, wow, that's a lot of you. You were there present in the flesh? Jared, how old were you? Nine years old, that's incredible. That's amazing. I won't ask the rest of you how old you were, but that's, that is impressive. I was, I was 18 and I remember watching it and just jumping up and down and celebrating. You know the story, it's just a few miles up the road across the river here. Uh, I, even though Jackson wasn't born, he's seen the footage many times of the Music City Miracle. He assured me of that, that uh, this, this great comeback, that the Titans had dominated at home all season, but then the Bills kicked a field goal with 16 seconds left to go up 16 to 15. Looked like it was all over. None of y'all left the stadium, did you? Those who you were there, you were all there. Okay, good. I've heard some stories about fans who left and they just, you know, never forgave themselves, of course. The Lord forgives, there's grace, but they don't forgive themselves. And then, uh, you know, there were 16 seconds left, the Bills kick this high kickoff, and, and Lorenzo Neal, remember that guy, big fullback, he, he catches the ball, and he runs over and he hands it off to Frank Wycheck. remember the Wycheck cheer, that was the best. And uh, Wycheck runs to his right, turns, and throws it across the entire field to, to who, the principal of Grassland Middle School currently, Kevin Dyson, Dr. Kevin Dyson, who then shot up, there was nothing but green grass in front of him, and he went 75 yards to the end zone. I can still hear the call, Mike Neal, there are no flags on the field, the Titans are gonna win the football game. It was an incredible moment for sports. Everyone thought they were gonna lose though because they were down with 16 seconds left, that's why it's called a miracle. Even Eddie George, greatest running back, maybe now Derrick Henry, but the greatest running back in Titans history. Eddie, I mean, he's got, you know, a legacy. Derek's got to catch him. I read an interview recently with Eddie George where he confessed they kick a field goal, 16 seconds to go, and it felt like someone died in my family because I felt like we were going to lose. There was no way we were going to win with just 16 seconds to go. I remember sitting on the bench thinking, man, this is gonna be a long off season for me to get over this one. We, we hadn't lost in that stadium all year long. In that moment, we, the fans, everybody, thought it was over. You know, we'd all lost hope. Even Eddie George had lost hope. I think 
Today, still, hope is something that is desperately needed. It's a, I'm not talking about believing in the Titans winning against the Chiefs today, not that kind of hope. I'm talking about true hope. Losing hope feels like Eddie George did sitting on that bench that day when the Bills kicked a field goal and made it. Losing hope can feel like mourning the loss of a loved one, like a kick in the gut. So many people in our world walk through life without hope. It's a miserable way to live. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. So many people are truly hopeless. They don't see a way out of their circumstances. They've reached the limits of what they can handle. They don't see a path going forward. They can't imagine a, a way out. Many of them don't see the point of, of going on any further. There's no compelling reason for them to, to get out of bed in the mornings. They don't believe their lives are, are heading anywhere good or purposeful. It's an epidemic of hopelessness that, that really spans across all ages, all races, all socioeconomic classes. Hopelessness does not discriminate. And into this darkness of hopelessness, we, God's people, have a message of hope to bring. We have special insight. We have an epiphany. This is January. We have an, a revelation from God about what's really going on behind the curtain. The hope that we hold out to our neighbors and to the world is literally life changing. It changes lives. What our world desperately needs, what our community desperately needs is true, robust, Christian hope. What is Christian hope? It's not like, man, I really hope I get that promotion at work, or wow, I really hope that the Titans beat the Chiefs today, or I really hope that we get that house that we put an offer on, or anything like that. Christian hope is, is not a fingers crossed kind of hope where we don't know how things are gonna turn out. Christian hope is a settled assurance. It's a confidence in our core about the goodness of God and about his ability to do what he says he can do, about his sovereignty, that he's in charge. Because if God is indeed good and if God is indeed sovereign, omniscient, omniscient omnipotent, then we can rest assured, can't we? He wants good things for us because he is good. He will bring them about because he is sovereign. Nothing will thwart his purposes. Hebrews 6.11 calls this the assurance of hope. Now what exactly are the good things that our sovereign God has done, is doing, and really hope is a future thing, isn't it? What are the good things that God will do that enable us to rest assured the content of Christian hope really basically is something we call the gospel. Many of you have just assumed the gospel means you believe in Jesus, they died for your sins, so that when you die, you can go to heaven. Is that really Christian hope? That's, that, that, that's the, just the tip of the iceberg. 
There's a lot of other things that come along with Christ's death and resurrection that lead us to a greater and deeper and more biblical hope than just this kind of 50s and 60s gospel, like the four spiritual laws. Any of y'all remember Bill Bright and Campus Crusade? The, the four spiritual laws about how you can just accept Jesus. The problem with that kind of hope is that it, it, it's escape theology. It's dangerous. It only teaches that the only good thing we have to look forward to is heaven. Some glad morning, I'll fly away and leave this terrible place behind. The problem with that is there's no justice done. All this broken and bad stuff doesn't get fixed. All the injustices that you suffered in this life will never be redeemed or restored or repaired if that's all our hope is. You know what that kind of hope leads to? Jim Jones and, and the Jonestown Massacre, where he said, let's just get out of here. Everybody drink the Kool-Aid. Remember? That's not Christian hope. Christian hope is something much deeper. The gospel is about so much more than dying and going to heaven. In the preface to N.T. Wright's excellent book, Surprised by Hope, if you want to explore what I'm about to talk about more Go on Amazon and, and buy N.T. Wright, or go to Logos Better, support your local bookstore, and buy N.T. Wright's Surprised by Hope. He says in the, the preface that the book is about the ultimate future hope held out in the Christian gospel. The hope, that is, for salvation, resurrection, eternal life, and the cluster of other things that go along with them. Second, it's about the discovery of hope within the present world, about the practical ways in which hope can come alive for communities and individuals who, for whatever reason, may lack it. And it's about the ways in which embracing the first can and should generate and sustain the second. That's kind of a British theologian way of saying embracing the gospel in all of its fullness, not just die and go to heaven, but embracing all of the good news, Christ with us, Christ in us, Christ through us, can lead to hope for communities where hope in the present world changes how we live each and every day. Embracing the gospel of Christ generates and sustains real hope in the midst of a fallen and broken world. It's not just if we give our lives to Christ, someday we can get out of here. It's that one day all things will be made new. Yes, in this life, Jesus told us we will have tribulation, John 16, right? Sin still wreaks havoc in our world. The fact that room in the end has to do the work that they do is because we live in a fallen world where their backpacks get stolen all the time, where they don't have a mailing address. But the gospel says there's hope. This is all going somewhere. It's not pointless. God will redeem what is lost. He will restore what is broken. That's why the apostle Paul can confidently say without pretense in Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth even comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And he's not talking about heaven here. It would be one thing for him to say this as kind of empty hope, 
like cheap consolation, like preachers, oh, he's in a better place now. That's not what he's saying. He suffered within an inch of his life. We know he suffered a lot. His body must have been wrecked after suffering beatings and imprisonments all of his life. That's why he says in the text that Aaron read earlier from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, though our outer self's wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul's body was wasting away. But listen to the context of that, that verse. He starts out, so we do not lose heart. Hope is about encouragement. Though our outer self's wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Nothing in this world could compare to it. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they'll pass away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what unseen things are, are happening to show us this future eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison? Paul describes this fallen world. He starts with this, and then he works his way back. He, in verse 19, he says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the, the word for sons there means children, children of God. The, the children of God are the the ones that will one day be like him, holy, perfected, wise, like God is. All creation, rocks, trees, mountains, rivers, fields, valleys, they're all longing for this day. Why? Because on that day, God's creation will be made new as well. Nature is red in tooth and claw, the poet said. Nature is not a, a pretty thing. We don't really watch nature documentaries at my house anymore because it scars our children. It's, it's a terrible place, or it's a brutal place. One day it will be made new. Verse 20, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, there's that word, that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption brought by sin, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now this is where I might lose you. This is saying that God subjected creation to futility, to pain, to frustration and uselessness. Why would a good God do that? It says here that he did this in hope. He did this purposefully. The futility of creation wasn't meant to last forever. God had a plan for creation. It was very good, but he did not force Adam and Eve to obey him like robots. He gave them a choice, and they chose sin. He knew they would. He allowed them to choose their own way, bringing sin and death and darkness and decay into a formerly good creation. But his plan would be to put it all back together to make all things new once again. This is better than just merely being perfect from the beginning, okay? Why? Because God gets all the glory for forging this mighty act of restoration and redemption and salvation, for rescuing a fallen world from overwhelming evil. It was a miracle, like the Music City miracle, only a billion times greater. As Andrew Peterson sings, maybe it's a better thing, 
a better thing, to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken, then redeemed by love. It's better than just being innocent, to be broken, but then redeemed by love. Jason Isbell sings about being something more than free. Freedom and innocence are great, but we can only appreciate them after being in chains. Our world is bound by sin and sorrow, isn't it? We don't have to convince our neighbors of this reality. Hopeless people know this well. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Just read the news. Sin wreaks havoc on our world. We know that. We who are found in Christ, though, know the problem. Sin is. Sin has messed up government, media, education, families, work, economics, everything. It's pervasive. It infects every aspect of this world. And even believers are not immune to the effects of sin. Look at verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as children, the redemption of our bodies. We who are found in Christ now have the Holy Spirit upon us as a seal, as a promise of our salvation, the first fruits of what will be someday complete. But the Spirit doesn't take away all the pain, does he? He doesn't take away all the sadness, all the heartache. I've sat with people in great heartache, great believers who are suffering greatly. So we join creation in groaning for what? For, it says here, adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. We know earlier in this chapter that we've been legally adopted already. When we come to Christ, we, we get that, that, that designation as God's child, but we don't get the fullness of our reward yet. Our resurrected, perfect bodies that live and reign with Jesus Christ forever. Now this may concern some of you. You may be thinking, what? We're going to be resurrected? My aunt was cremated. Is that a problem? <laughs> Is that a metaphor? Are you talking about spiritual resurrection? No, I'm, I'm talking about physical, bodily resurrection. When we say the creed, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. This is not new to Jewish Hebrew scriptures or to Christian scriptures. We're headed towards resurrection. That's our sure and certain future. It's what we were promised when we were first saved. Look at verse 24. This, in this hope, we were saved. Hope that is seen isn't hope, but who hopes for what they see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. We live in hope by faith, not by sight. I heard Eric Titchener teaching on this in Sunday school today, walking by faith. We hope for the redemption of our bodies, not knowing what they're going to be like. We have some hints, but we don't know. Only in the last 75 years or so have Christians really lost this doctrine of resurrection. We still say it in our songs and in our creeds and stuff, but we don't really talk about it a lot. But like I said, both the Old Testament and the New Testament point to a future event when Christ will return, the Messiah will come back, and the dead will be raised. Now, our hope is our eternal resurrected home, and I don't mean heaven. 
okay? We're so confused now about heaven because our culture has taught us that heaven is this place that when we die, we'll go to and we'll float around on clouds and we'll play harps forever. That sounds horrible. I, I don't like harp music, sorry if you do. But even if you do, you don't wanna play it for a billion years. Our hope is not heaven. Our hope is something better. Jude, our, our 10 year old, he's with his grandparents today. He was telling me recently that heaven doesn't sound good to him. It's because we've done a, a poor job of explaining what eternity is gonna be like. So I try to explain this to him. When we who are Christians die, our bodies are buried. That's true. They go into the ground or they're cremated, whatever. There are only certain legal options. Viking funerals are illegal. Don't try that. Um, but then our souls go to be with the Lord. We know the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's true. But that's not the end of the story. That's just escape theology. There's something more to it. When Christ breaks back into our fallen world with a billion angel army swooping in behind him to say enough, no more, somehow our bodies, whether they were cremated or buried, somehow our bodies will be put back together. If you've been dead 200 years, you're dust anyway, God can do it. What we call heaven now will be no more. What we call earth now will be no more. There'll be a beautiful merger into a totally perfect new heaven and new earth, a physical place where we will inhabit bodies that run, swim, hop, hike, climb, jump, laugh, play, do whatever else it is when you're really, really happy. This new creation gives us hope in the face of whatever we're going through. It's already started. When Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death and the power of sin and hell, he began making all things new and one day he will finish it. I'm gonna close with this beautiful passage from Revelation 21. Revelation 21, one through five, John gets a glimpse of what will be. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. Will we spend eternity in heaven? No. It will pass away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Where will we spend eternity? It sounds like down here. New heaven, new earth. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It won't be anything like this. It'll be heaven and earth together, completely made new. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Incarnation, again. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's our future. That's our hope. Let's tell that story to our neighbors and to the world. Let's stop trying to get hopeless people to just come in here and sit on a pew and have a religious experience or to check a box and, and raise their hand or come forward to be saved so they can just escape hell or escape this fallen world. 
Let's instead tell them the powerful truth that God is God, that Jesus is Lord, that the powers of evil have been defeated, and that God's new world has begun. The party at the top of the mountain for Woodmont Baptist Church is going to see is going to be seeing people who find true Christian hope, hopeless people who go from death to life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us a picture of what will one day be, that this fallen, broken world will be made new, that we won't have to have injustice, suffering, poverty, sickness, death, all the things that we experience, pain. I know so many in this church who are dealing with chronic issues. Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, you're making us newer. We grow younger on the inside as we look towards an eternity with you in a new creation that will be perfect, that will be bodily, that will be infinitely better than all that we could ever ask or think. God, forgiving us, forgive us for putting our hopes on things that are transient, things that are not eternal, things that we cannot take with us. Help us to live our lives in such a way that we are so focused on the future hope of new creation with you that we can't wait to tell others about it, that we wanna see lives transformed by moving their hope from things that are transient to things that are eternal an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is our prayer, O oh God. We want to see it done by your grace and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know it's a little long today. We have a deacon's meeting. You got lunch plans, I know, but uh, I, this is really important stuff. This is life and death stuff. This is life-changing stuff. I invite you to come back next week and hear about healing and how we can offer healing through Jesus' name, to our neighbors and to the world. Uh, whatever you do today before you leave, know that Jesus is calling all of us to go out and bring hope and healing. It's incumbent upon you, especially if you're a member of Woodmont Baptist Church, to play your part in God's calling on your life. So we're going to sing softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. He's calling sinners home. He's calling us to come home to our eternal home. The choir saying, this is not our home. This is going to pass away. But we have a job to do in the meantime of bringing hope and healing to our neighbors and to the world. If you need to come forward and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today because you've never done that, I'll be here to talk to you about that. I would love to invite you to do that. If you just want to pray with somebody, Jan, Trey, Brad, if you'll come up here, if you want to pray with a member of our prayer ministry team, they'd love to pray with you, just whatever's going on in your life. If you want to come kneel at the altar and pray, whatever it is that you need uh, today, if you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church as a member of our family of faith, maybe you've never been baptized by immersion, you say, it's time. God's called me to be baptized as an outward display of an inward reality in my life. Whatever it is, let's stand and sing softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.